Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. We started a few weeks ago. Um, before Pastor Marcus came. Man, how many of you still reeling from that service? Wasn't that just a powerful... I'm still getting responses from some of y'all just, man, what an awesome service that was. And very timely, I believe. I think it was needed by many in the body of Christ. I know it was timely for my wife and I. Um, just learning to magnify the Lord at all times. Amen. My worship is not limited or dictated by my circumstance. My circumstances are dictated by my worship. Amen. Just uh, an awesome service. If you haven't even had a chance to listen, if you missed that service, be sure to get online and get a hold of that word. Um, I know for sure it will encourage you. But before that, I had kind of uh, taken us into, you know, we've talked to this year about living with clarity living with an abundance of knowing the voice of God, hearing the voice of God, being led by the Spirit of God, uh, that uh, we want to live with an understanding this ought to be natural. It doesn't need to be difficult. It doesn't need to be done out of striving and, and this uh, horrid pursuit of why can't I hear God. And so we're looking at some of just these basic uh, natural elements of uh, what it means to live with clarity, to live hearing the voice of God. And we went down this path in Matthew chapter 15 where uh, Jesus is actually confronted by the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. In verse 1 it says this, Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. How many of you know that Sometimes when we come to Jesus, we don't come to Jesus. Uh, not everybody that approached Jesus in his ministry, not everybody that came to Jesus or, or wanted to uh, uh, be around Jesus, proximity even, if you will. He was literally, obviously, walking the face of the earth. But not everyone came to Jesus with a heart that said, I want what you've got. Not everyone uh, came to Jesus with a, a posture of a yielded heart that says, I want whatever you've got. Then there were those that even thought they wanted what he wanted until he started to dig down a little bit, dive in a little bit, right? And start to unveil and uncover some things and they were like, uh, yeah, you're right. I, I'm not. I'm not for that. The rich young ruler. What can I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, go sell all that you have. And he went away sorrowful. He came with the right approach, but it quickly became revealed that his heart wasn't postured in a way that says, "Whatever you ask of me is yours." If you want to live with abundant clarity, and if you want to live with a greater awareness, and you want to live with a strong sensitivity to the Spirit of God, you've got to be yielded before He speaks. You've got to come yielded. You've got to have a posture in your heart that says, whatever it is that you ask of me, want of me, I lay it down, I surrender it. But we know that the worst case scenario were these Pharisees and Sadducees, these religious leaders that wanted nothing that Jesus wanted, but they did want to tempt him. 
They did want to test him. They did want to confront him. They did want to try to, they, they, they wanted to try to find fault in him. They wanted the slip up. They wanted the mistake. They wanted to back him into a corner where, and he worked himself. I mean, he's like a magician, man. He worked himself out of their cunning and deceptive little tactics every single time. And so here in this moment, they're intending not to learn something from Jesus. They are wanting to confront Jesus with what they already have to try to trick him, to get him to slip up, to, to, to magnify a mistake in his life. They come to see Jesus and they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. And remember, as we covered before, they're not just talking about, you know, why are they gross and filthy? Why don't you wash your hands before you eat as in a hygiene practice? They're talking about a religious practice. They're talking about a ceremonial practice. There was more symbolism and more meaning behind the washing of their hands than just that's a, that's a, 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 a great way to catch a disease or a virus. They're not concerned about their health. They're concerned about their religious outlook. They're looking at how they can be perceived by others. They're more interested in the outside than the inside. And they think that by neglecting this tradition, by disobeying this tradition, that they are in violation of God's word and God's law. And so Jesus's response is really interesting. He replies and he says, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandment of God? Imagine thinking you're backing someone else in a corner and you get backed into one. (laughs) Jesus knew how to flip this thing quick. He says, you don't even understand that by your religious practice and your traditions that you have conjured up that are man-made systems, you've actually put yourself in direct violation of God's command of God's word. And so it helps us understand this principle that over time, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves doing things activity that is inferior to what God designed for us. That we will accumulate these systems and accumulate tradition and accumulate man-made plans and systems that actually, if we're not careful, may put us in direct violation of God's word. And now we find ourselves opposed to the very thing we claim to support. Opposed to the very thing that we claim to be uh, promoting and pushing and serving. They have found themselves in direct violation. And you know, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, um, they did not receive the convicting word that Jesus brought. It only deepened and entrenched them further in their posture, in their position of violation against God's word. Don't mess with my tradition. Don't talk about my systems. Don't talk about how I look. And Jesus, eventually, he just goes ahead and calls it out like like he sees it. You're just whitewashed tombs. 
dead on the inside, carrying dead men's bones. But on the outside, you're all cleaned up. Today's version of that, or the maybe the South Georgia version of that, would be putting lipstick on a pig, right? We all have our ways of cleaning up. When Jesus is trying to help them understand, I can get you cleaner than you, you could ever get on your own. I can, I can I not just make you white as snow, wash you. I can get rid of the old and make all things new. Oh, if you only knew what my plan was for your life, if you only knew what I had in store for you, if you only knew what I have come to this earth to do and to give you something far greater than just systems and traditions and plans. Now, many traditions, honestly, if you go back into the Old Testament, were set up by God. But the traditions were not meant to replace what God can do. They were designed to enhance what God could do. And so a tradition in and of itself is not what we're talking about. There are many traditions that we keep today. The tradition of baptizing in water is a tradition that was set down by God, but we don't obey the baptizing in water as the literal act that gets us saved. I know that there are some denominations that do. You're not even saved until you're water baptized. I had a conversation with an individual one time about that, and I said, okay, well, let's say we're in this restaurant right now eating lunch, and and, and we pray the sinner's prayer, and you ask Jesus into your heart, and we say, hey, you know what? there's a river around here. There's a lake around here. Let's go over there. And the second you pull out, a truck comes by and slant. Are you going to heaven or not? Well, pastor, by definition, I'm not. That's a sad way of, 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 of all that you learn from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21 in the word of God. That's consistent with the nature and character of God. Come on, we got to do better than that. It's the tradition, it's the tradition that enhances giving my life to Christ, but it doesn't give my life to Christ. But I follow it because he does command it. And he tells us that we ought to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I don't do it out of tradition. There's tradition of communion, the practice of communion. Man, that ought to be reverence. That ought to be powerful. That ought to be reminding you that Emmanuel, God with us, he came to abide with you. Not you getting to him, but him coming to you, bringing heaven down. And it reminds us of the blood that was shed and the body that was broken. And what we can claim now as a result of Jesus' sacrifice. So the traditions, if we're not careful, can pull us away from the very thing we think we're pursuing. If we're going to live with greater clarity, if we're going to live with greater awareness, we're going to have to recognize the place of tradition. Because this is what I know about the enemy. If he can't keep you from going to church, he'll get you to do it for the wrong reasons. If he can't keep you from reading the Bible, then he'll get you to do it for the wrong reasons. If he can't keep you from worshiping and praising, then he'll get you to do it for the wrong reasons. If he can't keep you out of the kingdom, then he'll get you so wore down, bore down, tired out, wearisome from striving to live what God has already provided you 
and you'll miss out on everything and he'll continue to defeat you. This is what I know about religion and tradition. When you are living under religion and tradition, you can't blame the devil anymore. See, we learn a lot in church. We actually hear, I would probably say, in abundance and surplus of how or uh, why we should conquer the devil. Now, I just want you to go ahead and understand this today. The devil doesn't need any more conquering than he's already conquered. You need to learn to walk in authority. You need to fight from victory, not for victory, but he's whipped, stripped, defeated. He's done with. He's been made a mockery of, man. This, that his, his days are numbered. You are victorious. We talked about that last week with the testimonies that we gave. We talked about this. You've got access to an abundant kingdom. You've got access to abundant provision. You've got access to health in your body. You've got access to every provision that God has made available through his word to you. Now it's learning how to access that. Now it's learning how to walk in that. Now it's learning how to steward that. So we're taught in abundance how to defeat the enemy. But here's one thing that we're not taught enough of, how to defeat yourself. How do we engage in the conflict within? How do we engage in the conflict with ourselves? Some of us know all the scripture on how to defeat the enemy. Do we know the word on how to defeat ourselves? What I mean by that is our flesh, our natural desires or our natural way of doing things or our lustful way of doing things, the sinful nature, the nature that we lived by prior to coming into the kingdom of God. There's two conflicts. There's the conflict with the enemy that's been done. Now there's the conflict with yourself. You know, Paul put it this way. I no longer live according to the flesh, but I live according to the spirit. The flesh, living according to the flesh and thinking according to the flesh produces death. Living according to the spirit, Romans chapter 8, he outlines this. It, It produces life and peace. Anybody want life? Anybody want peace? you got to live according to the Spirit. You'll never obtain life and peace living according to the flesh. It won't work. So this conflict that now shows up, this religion and tradition, the enemy knows what he's doing. He, he intercepts and, and he, he steps in. He, says, he doesn't just say, well, I lost them. Move on to the next one. No, you just got yourself a bullseye on your back coming into the kingdom of God. Huh? We've said it before, but he doesn't want you to find out what he knows. So he'll he'll bind you up with condemnation, shame and guilt. You're just, I mean, we've, we've got people in the kingdom, but they're on the bottom of the barrel. They're in the barrel, they're just on the bottom of it. Huh? not living to and obtaining all that God has made available for us. And then he's even, you know, manipulated us into thinking that that was as much as Jesus has done for us is just get us in the kingdom, but we won't get over until we die, right? Well, if that were the case, we might as well just held you under the water when we baptized you and just let you go on and be with Jesus. Just go be with Jesus then. Man, there's so much more that he's got for you. Now, 
Paul said in uh, Romans 5 verse 17, you can reign as kings in this life. This life. Right now. No, it's not the full consummate kingdom come, your will be done. But we can declare his kingdom come as much as it can in this life. And if you know anything about us or been around us long enough, this is what you know is the the, the crux of our mission and, and, and our ministry and our purpose is helping you discover all that God has for you now. The things I just I just named. Your identity in Christ, how to live by faith and being led by the Spirit. You know, I used to say this a long time, and I, I quit saying it. I quit saying it. Go, going into ministry, going into full-time ministry. And you might hear other pastors say it too, regardless of what ministry school they went to. I could write a book on all the things they didn't teach me in Bible school. I mean, my first six months in ministry, I had two handfuls of things that I was like, where was that lesson? Ain't no one ever taught me how to build. They didn't teach us budget, finance. You know, I don't get to send invoices. Y'all don't say nothing of that. You're, you're, Pastor Mark, are you sending us an invoice for this Sunday this week? I don't get to do that. It's living by faith and trusting God. Amen. You just minister the vision. I know what I won't do. I'll never obligate you to give. I'll never compel you to give out of natural obligation. If you don't give cheerfully, I'll send it back to you. Because the Bible is very clear. It's not what you give, it's how you give. Amen. Well, there's all these slew of things I'm running into. It's like, man, we should have had a class on this. I feel like I could teach the class on this now. But you know what? A few years ago, my, my eyes opened up and I was like, you know what? They did teach us. They did teach us. They taught us how to live by faith and they taught us how to be led by the Spirit. They taught us how to live by faith and they taught us how to be led by the Spirit. Ain't no one ever been through a pandemic before that I've, that I've talked to. I talked to Pastor Daryl Huffman. He's been in ministry more than 40 years. He's already in another phase of ministry now. Handed off the church to his son. Handed off the church to his son in 2020. In February of 2020. Guess what happened in March of 2020? And he's, he, he goes into his dad's office and he sits down and he says, Dad, you know, I, you know what am I supposed to do? Do we open the doors? Do we close the doors? Do we do this? Do we do that? We require, and, and, and his dad literally, I, I mean, I, I know Pastor Darrell. I know that he's not just making this up. He looks him in the eye and says, you'll figure it out. At the end of the day, Pastor Darrell told me, he's like, I've never been through that either. But you know what? He's been through other trials. He's been through other issues. He's been through other things. And guess what got him through? Living by faith and being led by the Spirit. Living by faith and being led by the Spirit. Man, if you could just get those two things, there's really nothing that the enemy could conquer you in. Now, I know people don't like those answers anymore. And I know you could attend seminar after seminar after seminar. They give you the 12 steps to this and the five steps to that and the 15 steps to this and all these other gimmicks and tricks. And hey, there are times where the Holy Spirit will lead you into those things. My wife and I have attended conferences and seminars and leadership roundtables and the whole bit. We've, we've done them. But at the end of the day, you know what? I got to come back to Valdosta and I got to know that I'm doing what the Holy Spirit has called us to do, assigned us to do to live by faith 
and be led by the Spirit. And I'll be honest, a lot of the conferences and seminars and roundtables will give you uh, everything that you need so you never have to apply faith or listen to the Holy Spirit and still look successful. But without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. And these are the sons of God, these that are led by his spirit. Amen. I don't know why we went there, but you needed it. I needed it. But anyhow, Jesus is addressing these traditions, the religious activity, the programs and the systems and the plans. And so today I want to give you the four walls of tradition. Four walls of tradition. You know what happens when you got four walls around you, right? You're blocked in. You're trapped. I was going to name it the trap of tradition. So maybe that's subtitle. I don't know. However you, whatever you want to call it. Robert, whatever you want to call it, wherever he is, he's in this room somewhere. He's the one that titles our stuff and puts them out. And you, you, you put the, you could put the, the cool version or you can put the old school, uh, you know, whatever. But either way, the point is, is that our traditions, if we're not careful, will trap us, limit us, keep us blocked in. And so I want to give you four mindsets that tradition will uh, that you'll run into. And this is when we hear the voice of God. See, this is what you have to understand. We've said it before, but Jesus came to disrupt things. Jesus was a disruptor. He did not come to fit in. He did not come to get along. Can't we all just get along? He came to challenge He came to disrupt a broken system. He came to question things. He came to show us a better way, another way, a greater way. He'd say things, you say say that uh, if a man sleeps with a woman, he's committed adultery. But I'd say, if a man even, he just took it to a whole other level. He just took it. Now, that's not contradicting the word of God. He's expanding the, it's not, Jesus is the word in the flesh. He's not coming to contradict what's in Genesis, in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy. At the end of the day, those commands and those systems and those practices were Jesus. It's the word of God. And before Jesus was in the flesh, he was what? He was the word, made flesh, dwelt among us. He's not contradicting it. He's just showing you another standard, showing us another way, showing us a better way. And he came to disrupt these systems. He came to disrupt the brokenness. He came to disrupt the the things that man had put in place, became satisfied with, and to show us another way. Number one, number one, what it was what it was. Almost every traditionalist, almost every traditionalist 
they are, you'll notice they are hyper aware of the past. They can tell you all about what was. They can tell you all about the way we used to do it. They're married to it. They're married to it. You know, I grew up in the 90s. Um, so technology was really just beginning to advance. Technology was just really beginning to take off. Uh, I remember our first computer. <laughs> Y'all remember those? <laughs> Is this thing going to take off right now? Are we going to outer space? What's going on here? <laughs> Oh, I remember, man, I would pick up the phone and my dad was on the internet. What a, that was a bad night. That was a bad night. I just had to call my friend and ask him uh, a question on my math homework. You know, I'm not good at math, so I had to call my friend. And you hear the, oh, no. And sure enough, three seconds later, you pick up the phone? I'm on the internet, man. What? <laughs> See, some of these kids right now are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what in the world? And the phone was on the kitchen wall, and it had a cord that went all the way into my bedroom. It trailed all the way, and then I shut the door. It went under the door. Huh? Hey, Mom, I got to use the phone. Okay. All right. They're gone. Uh, so it's fun talking to my dad today about technology because I have advanced and he unfortunately has not. My son teaches him how to use his iPhone. That he, he, he got one several years ago and hated it so much he went back to a flip phone and he just got another one because it just got to a point he's like, I just, I cannot you know, keep up or whatever. But, you know, I'm, anytime I'm with him or anytime I'm talking to him, you know, he'll tell me like ways that he's doing things, like ways that he's watching ball games or ways that he's, you know, he wants to see videos of Camden from sports or something. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, dad, just get an iPad, man. It's just, it will ease your life so much. Well, I try to get on the internet and I'm trying to go to this. Man, you don't even need websites anymore. Like that's, that's AOL, instant messenger. Like you've got mail. And, you know, like this is archaic. It's outdated, but you know, he loves his methods. He probably still has it uh, in his office, in his house today. I'm pretty sure he still has all that equipment. Not they're not hoarders. So I don't want you to think my, my parents are hoarders. But I, I'm like, Dad, what are you that monitor is like this big? Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Just let it go, man. You're still plugging in your mouse to the back of the like, why? Why are we doing this? Uh, we marry our traditions, don't we? There's things that we do naturally, but guys, even more dangerous are things that we do spiritually. And again, the, the enemy will 
he, he, the enemy loves your past. Let's just put it that way. He loves how you used to do things. He loves how you used to. And, and this is the thing. We talked about it, you know, several weeks ago. He's not always trying to tempt us with just outright blatant evil. But he will use good things. He'll use good activity. Even things that look wise in man's eyes. But if it's not what God has said, if it's not what God is doing, then we're going to miss out on what God has for us. We're going to find ourselves tied to tradition rather than advancing into all that God has for us. Let me give you a few uh, passages here. Exodus chapter 14. Now I'm going to use these figuratively. Obviously, uh, in the natural sense, they they literally, uh, these Israelites in the wilderness... They found themselves in direct disobedience. You know, let's just go ahead and identify this. The, end of the, the Israelites not going into the promised land was rebellion. Numbers chapter 13 is the account where we see them go in and spy out the land and come back with the grapes, but they were more focused on the giants, right? We're just grasshoppers in their eyes. In the number chapter 14, God tells Moses, they have directly rebelled against me. Guys, let's just make this clear today. If you're not living by faith and walking in the things that God has called you to walk in, you're, you're not just backing out on an optional. You are in direct rebellion to the plan of God for your life. It wasn't ever up for consideration. It wasn't ever up for debate, if you feel like it. He, he declares, that's direct rebellion that I've asked you to go and take the promised land and you refuse to do it because you don't think you're strong enough, big enough, great enough. He called it rebellion. All right, don't like that one. Okay, um, let's just keep going. The <laughs> Exodus chapter 14 and uh, verse 10 as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there, was, there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, it is because there are, or is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us it would have been better for us, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, I'll let you know right now, you haven't even entered a faith test until your past looks more desirable than your future. <laughs> That's when you know you're in faith. That's when you know you have wandered out into depths beyond you. That's when you know you have stepped out of the boat and there is nothing saving you except the word that you can come and walk on the water. Because when I start pursuing the things of God, what is ahead looks so far away. And what is the past is like, why didn't I just stay? Why didn't I just keep? Why didn't I just follow? I should have just, it would have been better. It would have been better. It would have been better. 
And the enemy, he will remind you greatly of your past. He loves the past you. He loves the things that you used to do. He loves the way that you used to be. And yeah, he'll, he'll use it. And many people use what it was as a wall of tradition that they never get past. They never enter the promises of God because they can't get past the wall of tradition, the wall of the past, the wall of the way it used to be. I just went on and on with you about my legacy and my heritage uh, with Rama and with Kenneth Hagin Ministries. We used to travel to their summer camp meetings in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. We're only about five hours south. That was our summer vacation every year was traveling up. Man, I've seen some crazy stuff. Some of it flesh, sure, but a lot of it was the glory of God manifesting. But there is nothing in me. I, w- I refuse to allow to think they have better days than what I have coming ahead. I refuse to think Abraham has it better than I have it. I refuse to think Moses has it better than I have it. I refuse to think that Paul had it better than I have it. I refuse to think that the disciples had it better with Jesus on the earth than I do with the spirit living inside of me. I refuse to live thinking the past is greater than my future. And if you're not careful, you will exalt your past and all the moves we used to have. A lot of revival stuff going around today. And a lot of people struggling with what it looks like today versus what it used to like. Well, do we serve the God that says, behold, I am doing a new thing. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Do we not serve that God? Let me tell you something. These walls will not just put you in a box. They'll put God in a box. And many believers have God working only within the confines of their traditions, within the limitations of these four walls I'm going to give you today. God has to do it the way he did it for Kenneth Hagin, the way he did it for the Azusa Street Revival, the way he did it for Charles Finney, and the way that he did it for, for the, the, the prophets of old and even the ones in the word. No, I refuse to be bound by what it was. I refuse to wander in a wilderness when he's given us entrance into a promised land. In chapter 16, verse 2, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Let's let's just go ahead and understand this about our words and our, our grumbling. If God inhabits our praises, I wonder who inhabits our complaints. When you start living your life blocked by what it was, it won't be long before you complain about how it is. Amen. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Oh, now all of a sudden the past is, now we start glorifying the things of how it was. When you were there, you were complaining about the taskmasters and being beaten every single day and the hard work that you were put under. Now all of a sudden we're magnifying the food and the meat and the bread. See, this is the thing. In your past, 
the enemy, <clears throat> the enemy gave you just enough to live by so that you could turn around the next day and do it again. He wants to keep you alive, stuck in the same old way it's always been, enslaved. Well, I mean, what good is a dead slave? Bible says even sin is pleasurable for a time. Every single person in this room, no matter what kind of life you lived in the past, you can think of the good times that the past provided you. Well, at least I had friends. Yeah, but they were all drunk right alongside with you. <laughs> Chris is laughing really loud at that one. <laughs> Now I follow Jesus and nobody wants to be around me. Huh? So you guess what the enemy's going to start bringing up? Remember that? Remember those people? Remember all the people that you hung out with? Remember all the glorious times you had? Remember all the fun? Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me? Moses replied. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring up, bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? This is a thing. A desire for what it was will always keep you from what it can be. Again, we're using this figuratively. We can use these passages to, to symbolize so many things about break, breaking free from the old life into the new life and, and all those kind of things. But we're talking about tradition and religion. Why can't I hear the voice of God? Why isn't it clear? Why isn't it, why doesn't it, why don't I feel his presence? It's because you have a greater desire for what it was than what it can be. I'll go a step further than what it should be. The last time I checked, the prophets of old are in a grandstand in heaven cheering us on to finish our race and to do even greater than they did. Number one is what it was. That's just number one. We feel like we're off to a great start. Number two, we'll probably take the air out of the room. Number two is the wall of what I know. What I know. This may be the, diff, the most difficult wall to tear down. Because, uh, is it 1 Corinthians 8? 1 Corinthians 8 tells us this. Concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. Knowledge is a very tricky thing because the Bible tells us to gain knowledge, desire understanding. But the Bible also in the same breath never predicates our steps of obedience on understanding and comprehension. What I mean is you are never... The Bible never gives you permission to know everything before you step out and follow him. You will step out in faith. 
I desire to know. I desire to understand. But it is not the leader. The leader is the voice of the Spirit. And many traditionalists get stuck in their knowledge. If they can't accept it in their mind, if they can't comprehend it and see it in their mind, Let's just understand this. Your mind needs to be renewed. I said your mind needs to be renewed. Now, your mind can either be the prison of the past or it can be the hope of the future. That's up to you. But the knowledge part is the struggle. He goes on to say, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing. (laughs) The second you think you know something, you actually find out you know nothing. He knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. In the New Living Translation, it reads this way. Uh, Regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, again, tradition. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about the issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. The message translation reads it this way. The question keeps coming up regarding meat that has been offered to an idol. Should you attend meals where such meat is served or not? We sometimes tend to think we know all we need to know to answer these kinds of questions. But sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. We never really know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. When you come in this room, you can come in with one of two postures. You can come in with what I know. Or you can come in with what I want to know. We need to be teachable. We need to be coachable. We need to desire to hear. And not just hear what we already know. Not just hear in agreement. Not just hear in alignment. Now, ultimately, you have to discern, does that align with God's word? We're not just birds with our mouths, baby birds with our mouths open being fed anything. Subject it to the word, test it to the word. But you, even our questions can be done with the cynicism and the skepticism. Ah, oh, does, I mean, that, that healing business, are you sure? Or you can come in thinking, man, I've, I've never heard this before, but if it's in the word, I want to know it. If that's what he's provided for me, then I want it. In John chapter 3, let's see if we can look at that quickly. John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with John, or I'm sorry, with Nicodemus. And uh, he, he makes, you know, a very odd statement regarding, uh, you know, this was another Nicodemus being one of those that pursued Jesus. But he's actually uh, not like the other Pharisees. He comes in, in, the, uh, in the cover of night, right? They, they presume it was in the middle of the night, 1 or 2 a.m., with nobody else around, nobody knows. And he comes and he asks the question, uh, you know, uh, or really he doesn't even ask a question, he just makes a statement. We know you are a teacher come from God because no one can do these signs that you do. Basically he's saying, how are you doing these signs? I want to know. 
The whole rest of my Pharisee group back here, they just want to cut you down. But there's, there's something on the inside. I, 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 you, you've kind of spurred me to question what's really going on. At least he was in a posture of, I want to know what you're ministering. I want to know what this kingdom is all about. And so he goes on to say, or Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Down in verse uh, number nine, Nicodemus says, how are these things possible? Now, of course, he's asking the question, literally, how can I go back up into my mother and be born again? Maybe some of us were thinking it. Nicodemus just came out and said it. That might be one of those that you don't want to blurt that out loud. But this is what Jesus said. He said, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 6, it says, yet when I'm among mature believers, this is Paul speaking and writing, I do not speak with words of wisdom. I, I, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world. Many of us are trying to lower God's plan to our capacity to believe. And we should be increasing our capacity to believe to God's plan. Many people end up in religious activity and and, and traditions because we are lowering God's word down to a level that we can receive it on, down to a level that I can understand it on, down to a reason I can explain it. I want the word that I can't explain, but the Holy Spirit can give me the words to explain it. I don't want a word that is naturally discerned, naturally understood. I need a word that is only understood by the Spirit of God. So this wall of what I know and our knowledge, man, it's tough. It's tough to knock that wall down. The, 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 The greatest thing you'll ever surrender is what you know. The greatest thing. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Then in verse 2, he says, now renew your minds so that you can be transformed in your lives. I can't even renew my body until I renew my mind. I can't offer my body as a living sacrifice until I renew my mind to his plan and his kingdom and his word. And I refuse to let religion sit on the throne where God wants to sit. I refuse to let my man-made tradition sit on a throne where God says, I want to come and invade that space. I want to come and direct my people. I want to come and lead. I want to come and direct you. I want to come and show you new things. But it will blow your mind. Acts chapter 2, it blew people's minds. And Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter, Peter had to explain 
that first church service. Now, this does not give us liberty to just run off and do whatever kind of crazy maniac stuff that we want to do and allow in church services or and call it a move of God. It's got to align with the word of God. Everything goes back to the word. This is the foundation, not your practice, not the way you do things, not the experiences you had, not the emotions you felt. The word is the foundation. The word is the baseline. The word is where we live and move and have our being, the word. But man, when the word comes alive, it will, it will directly contradict people's minds, people's thinking, people's understanding. It will blow their minds what God can do how extravagant he is, how good he is, how much he's provided. And these days, it's not even getting very hard anymore because we have lowered ourselves to such low expectations. That's why God says, I can do immeasurably more, exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. He says, even as big as your biggest thought, I can get bigger than that. (laughs) What's coming in these last days? It's going to blow our minds. But it's going to be the Spirit of God. But if you want to reduce God to your level of comprehension, Look, I'll just be honest. Some of the, some of the ones that are going to have the hardest time are the analytical and the ones that rely on their knowledge. I, I'm, I'm too dumb to, to be that person. I'll just be honest. The only schooling I've ever done is ministry schooling besides K through 12. I may not be the smartest one. I may not be the, I may not have all the degrees. I may have, may not have all the experience. I may not measure up to man's standards. But if Jesus got hung on a cross by Pharisees and teachers of the law, that ought to be a clear indicator of which ones stand in the way of the move of God and which ones are promoting the move of God. He uses a fisherman to explain Acts chapter 2. Look, our natural wisdom, our natural ability to understand our natural ability to comprehend. It can serve us, but it should not master us. Your mind is a powerful servant, but a terrible master. Yield it to God. Let him take that wall down. Don't let your mind be the limiting factor to what God can do. Amen. First Corinthians two, verse eight says, but the rulers of this world would not have understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our Lord, our glorious Lord. All right. Number three, we were real, we were real high on number one. Then number two kind of leveled us out a little bit. Let's see where number three gets us. The wall of what it was, the wall of what I know. Number three, the wall of what it is. 
what it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Y'all doing all right? Amen. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us. Everyone say, producing for me. Our light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. Verse 18 says, so we do not focus on what it is, but on uh, on what it on what is seen, sorry, on what is seen, but we focus on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You've heard us say this before, but sight is the exercise of the eyes. But vision is a man is a matter of the heart. Sight is an exercise of the eyes. Vision is a matter of the heart. If we're going to break down this religious wall of what it is, this religious traditional wall of what it is, and we're going to allow that to box us in and confine us and limit just based on what it is. And this is the thing. Your eyes only see what it is. And if you only see what it is, you sacrifice what it could be. We've got to be future focused. Future focused. I'll be honest with you. I got a lot of parents in the room. I'm a parent. I've got now a preteen and a two-year-old. Great season of life. But lately I have been very convicted in my life. Not in my public ministry but in my personal ministry. How do I know if I'm future focused? What am I setting up my children for? I mean, do we really want just a revival that you and I live off of? Or do we want something that our kids can walk into? I go even one better, something that they can create that's better than anything we've ever experienced on this earth. If we're really talking about it getting better and better and better, then we need to start presenting the gospel and church and ministry and the word and worship and praise as something that is a non-negotiable in their lives. Because this is the thing. If one generation treats church as optional, the next generation will treat it as unnecessary. And I know in the mornings, we're just so busy getting them thrown in the van. We don't care what color socks they're wearing. We don't care what they look like. We don't just, when you get there, don't you say a word. We grit our teeth on the way there. We walk in with our happy Sunday faces, and then we go out to eat, and then we get back home. Don't miss an opportunity to represent the power of what we do to your children. Future focused. Not just what it is. Man, if, if, 
if God demonstrates his kingdom and his fire and his power in, in just the most mind-blowing way in my lifetime, I still would live with this prayer, Father, give my children even greater than what I experienced. Far better than even what I had. If I can have it that good, then you've got something even greater set up and in store for them. Because if I can believe that I can have it better than Kenneth E. Hagin and Oral Roberts and Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake and all the others that have gone before us, if I can have it better than them, then my kids should have it better than me. But if I get so focused on what it is now, I'll sacrifice what I'm passing on. I was seven years old listening to on a daily basis. And it was much harder because cassettes, you have to rewind. And sometimes the little plaque tape comes out and you have to use a pencil or a pen and you have to turn it. And VHS. And I had to carry the physical book because I couldn't have the ebook on my iPad. Seven years old, reading these books. I'm not bragging about myself. I'm helping you understand. Don't underestimate. Don't underestimate. I was listening to a man in his 70s. The world wants to tell you that your children can only consume for this long and in this small of a window. And he's a liar. They can tolerate church. They can tolerate elders. I thank God that we can provide ministry on relevant levels. In fact, this afternoon, four o'clock, if you're a teenager in this room or if you have teenagers and they're not here today, get them here this afternoon. We've got a, a powerful youth night service. I'm actually ministering this one. I'm kicking them off and I'm going to bring the word. I'm not going, we're not, we're going to have games and fun stuff because that's what they like to do, but I'm bringing the word. Pastor Daryl Huffman just this past week asked me to minister this year at East Coast Camp. It's the first time ministering at East Coast Camp. If you have teenagers, you need to send them to this youth camp. It will literally change their life. Now, I told Pastor Daryl, I said, you know, I'll be honest. You know, I, I, I play more of the uh, coach and the principal role. I'm not really the fun guy with the catchy stuff and the games and the videos and the gimmicks and stuff. Then I look at those guys like, how do you do that? I mean, like everything they do just captures. So I just told him, I said, there'll be grace. There'll be grace either for them to receive my style or for me to adjust and bring something creatively to them that will keep them locked in. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit will make up the difference. But I'm ministering this afternoon to him. That's middle schoolers and high schoolers. Four o'clock today. And I've got cash in my pocket. I, look, if I can't get their attention with creative gimmicks, I'll give away money. They'll listen to me if I got money. <laughs> they will do that. I do. I will have cash. 
I'm the guy on daddy daycare that every time the kid's screaming and crying, doesn't want to go with his, doesn't want to go to class, he just gives them another $5 bill. Ooh, all right, let's go. Hallelujah. I will not sacrifice the next generation on the altar of my experience. That's really not the point I was even trying to make with that, but the Holy Spirit wanted to go there. If you're going to live future focused and you're going to be thinking about what you're passing on to the next generation and let's quit thinking about what satisfies us or what we prefer or how I like it. You may not like the, the lights and the darkness and whatever else, but you know what? There are kids that do. And if you get outside of yourself for a moment and stop being so selfish and prideful in your way of doing it and think there's another generation that's having a hard time turning toward God today. And there is an enemy that's going after them full throttle, foot through the floorboard. He's trying to get them before they even enter into the world through abortion. Challenging their worth and their value and they haven't even shown up in the planet yet. Come on. It might be tight, but it's right. We're going to be future focused at Anchor Fig Church. We will not allow religion and tradition to be one generation only. Keep us confined to one generation or the past generations. Worship team, if you come. I got one more wall. They'll help me get there quicker. The Passion Translation reads this way. So no wonder we don't give up. Even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is renewed every single day. Now, let's translate this back over to church. Obviously, he's talking about our bodies, but our church, we see things breaking down. We see depravity growing. We see things increasing. You know what Jesus said to do about that? Let them grow together. Let the wheat and the tares grow together. You water what you know you're supposed to water. Quit watering CNN and Fox News. It'll grow. You water what you know you're supposed to water. Water the word in your life. Meditate on his word. The darker it gets out there, the more entrenched in his word you ought to be. wears out. But he says that our inner being is renewed every single day, meaning in here, something can be renewed. In here, something can be happening that can change what's happening out there. Do you believe that? Do you believe that we can walk in something in here that can go beyond these doors and change a world, change an atmosphere, change an expectation, change a perspective? We view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal, weighty glory, far beyond all comparison, because we don't focus our attention on what is seen, but on what is unseen. That's where I want you to dial in on this point number three. We've got to focus on what is yet to be seen. We've got to get future focus on what is yet to happen, what is yet to occur. Not so focused on me now, right here. What do I want? When do I want it? But God, how are you going to do it for them? 
How are you going to do it in ways that I have not even seen yet? If we're not careful, the way we do things now will, will become, today's truth can become tomorrow's tradition. Sure, we might be doing it different than our forefathers. But if we're not careful, we'll direct our children and the generations beyond us to do it the way we did it. Rather than teaching them to press into God. Rather than, the, than teaching them to, you, you hear God for yourself. You be led for, by the Spirit yourself. Many teenagers are graduating high school and falling away from the faith because they were only believing because they were living off of their parents' faith. They never learned to believe for themselves. I'll go a step further. Many of you parents need to start talking to your children, not just telling them, but asking them, what's the Lord showing you? What's the Lord revealing to you? What's the Lord leading you? Instead of telling them where to go to school, What's the Holy Spirit showing you? Can they only hear the voice of God as long as you're telling them? Hallelujah. No, we got to be future focused. But if we're not careful, the future will become wall number four what I thought it would be. Wall number four. What happens when God gets outside your box? What happens when he does it differently than you've done it? What happens when you get into the future, but it doesn't look like? What happens when you go into the promised land but you realize there was stuff there you didn't know was going to be there that you're going to have to fight off to stay there. If we defeat the wall of what it was, if we tear down the wall of what I know, if we get past and break through the wall of what it is, the enemy will, if he can't use your past, he'll use your future. And you'll arrive at the future. You'll walk into the promised land. You'll spy it out and you'll say, wait a minute, this doesn't look anything like what God said. It's great to live with faith. It's great to live with expectation. It's great to have an image of what God can do and will do and wants to do. But don't allow the future to be a limitation. Don't allow the future to be a wall that blocks you in, a wall that keeps you limited, a wall that you can't get past. And then when you arrive there, it actually talks you out of the very thing God's been spending all his time talking you into. In Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. God, let's just understand this. Let's start here. Your turn to Acts chapter one. When the Pharisees saw Jesus, the very man they claimed to have been waiting for, 
the Messiah. He didn't come as they thought he would. And they ended up killing the very one they thought they were pursuing. That's why they're confronting him in Matthew chapter 15. Rather than submitting to him and saying, we've got all these traditions, we don't know what to do with them. What do you say we do? Why don't you stand up with me? You're looking a little little tired. Tommy's going to play you to sleep back here. This is our last point. Traditionally, we get out at around 12 o'clock. But since we're talking about tearing down walls of tradition today, I've learned revival doesn't care about your clock. I've learned that revival doesn't care about parking spaces. Revival doesn't care about fire code. We'll be in alignment as much as we can be. But we got a sprinkler system up there. We can pack them in if we need to. You might not have anywhere to sit, but revival doesn't care about that either. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Right now, they've finally seen the resurrected Christ. They've finally seen this thing that they've been believing for. This thing that they have finally seen it, seen it play out. They're literally, it's no more uh, getting in Jesus's face and uh, may it never be. I'll make sure that they don't kill you. We're, we're past all that. We're like, okay, yep, I understand, man. I, I was wrong. You know, we, we couldn't understand this whole, you're going to lay down your life. Three days, you're going to be gone. You're going to rise up on the third. We couldn't get on it. Now we see it. So, so is this it? This is the kingdom you've been talking about, right? This is that big overthrow you've been talking. Now we can finally come out from under Roman oppression. Now we can finally live free like you've been talking about this whole time. Is this, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? Jesus' response in verse 7. Jesus' response in verse 7, he replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And he says this, and they are not for you to know. <laughs> it's not what you it's not what you want to hear. Because I'll be honest. If they just did that to you and we claim to be one of your followers, it's not going to be, it's not going to sit well with us. They're going to come and try to get us. They're thinking about the future. They're thinking about what's ahead. But are they going to let their future become their wall? Are they going to let their future become their limitation? 
He says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, the things of the future. Verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. Well, that just unraveled really quick. We thought this was when you're restoring the kingdom. We thought this was that big moment we've been waiting for. Now you tell me it's not up to us to know when that takes place. You furthermore, you tell me that you're going to send us into these dark places to be witnesses about you. They're going to kill us just like they killed you. This is fresh on their mind. And then thirdly, you leave. That's not how I thought it would be. Naaman, with the prophet Elisha, I thought he would come out and wave his hand over me and I would be cured. And now he's telling me to go dip myself in this dirty, nasty water. I got better water back home. I could have just stayed there. We all do this. And if we're not careful, it will become a wall that keeps us confined and boxed in. It's a wall that needs to come down because this is what happened. Verse 10, as they strained to see him rising into the heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Why are you with despair? Not with, oh, wow, that's so awesome. No, they're thinking, what are we going to do now? He's been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. But that didn't mean heaven wasn't on its way. He'll return from heaven, but I've given you access to heaven now. Go and tarry for the promise of the Father. And when he comes upon you, he will fill you with his spirit and and power will come upon you and you'll become my witnesses. What's he saying? It's actually... What he said in John chapter 16, it's to your advantage that I go. What's he saying? It's going to be better for you. There's a better way. There's a better plan. You're in the future and it's not turning out how you thought it would turn out. But I've got an even better plan that would blow your mind. Hebrews chapter 8, real quick. Put it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 8. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. Verse 6. But now. Everyone say now. Everyone say now. Say right now. Right now. Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant. 
I said a far better covenant with God based on better promises. You've got better. You've got better. You've got better. You've got better. Better than what it was. Better than what you thought. Better than what it is. Better. I said better. I said better. I said better. It's better. Now, it's like I told you from the beginning, the enemy's not your problem. Guys, there's not one ounce of darkness that can overthrow light. Why are we so worried about the next generation? Why are we so concerned with all the brokenness and depravity we're seeing? It's time to shift your focus and walk in, in walk into these things knowing the enemy is defeated. The devil is a liar. He's an accuser of the brethren. He cannot withhold what God wants to release in this earth. Okay, hold on. You want to rejoice? Then we have to ask the question, then what is holding back what God wants to release? Have we boxed him in with what it was? what I know, what I see, and what I thought it would be. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.